This episode of the Order 66 podcast brought to you by the generous donations of Kevin Malone, Donald Weller, B. Witzel, Andy Bethel, Darren Hampton, Trevor Hill, and William Sullivan, as well as lots of viewers and listeners like you. Order 66 Redux. Broadcast live, you're listening to the Order 66 podcast. Brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and Wayne Basta, author of the Aristia series of novels. What's up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here, and for those who are tuning in for this very special episode, you're in for something a bit unusual. You are joining us for the first ever Redux episode of Order 66, the original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars role-playing. A couple episodes ago, um, myself, uh, GM Dave, and GM Phil were joined by a very special guest, uh, Mr. Sam Whitwer, who jawed with us for four hours in a very, very fun and lengthy episode we had a great time with, where the meat of the show was called all about campaign building. And uh, as is often the case when we have an entertaining guest on, especially one uh, like Mr. Whitwer, uh, we took a lot of side turns and had a lot of fun side conversations as well. And it was an incredible show. We had an entertaining time with it. But ultimately looking back, we found that it made the meat of the show and the actual advice we were trying to provide in terms of campaign building a little disjointed at times. So, for your benefit, we have recut a second draft of that show, uh, which we are going to present to you now. Episode 56, Redux. Um, Cutting out a vast majority of the side conversations um, and uh, extraneous talk we had, and really digging into a show that's just less than two hours of raw crunchy meat about how to build campaigns correctly with some excellent advice from uh, Dave, Phil, myself, and of course, Sam Whitwer. So without further ado, guys, we're going to move you directly into the condensed meat from episode 56, I Find Your Lack of Campaign Disturbing, with the first ever Redux episode from the Order 66 podcast. Guys, let us get into the meat of this here show, which I think we're tentatively calling, um, I Find Your Lack of Campaign Disturbing. Ah, the meat, the meat, the meat of the show. So, in years past of the Order 66 podcast, we have prided ourselves in teaching our listeners all we can about character concepts, game rules, and little things that captivate our interest. But on occasion, 
we do like to step into the larger theater of discussion and really plumb the deep wells of gaming. Shows like uh, Episode 7 and 11 uh, were devoted to overall structure of an encounter and uh, the design of GM resources and tools. We've talked about building out exciting encounters. We've, we've talked about creating set pieces and memorable NPCs and other episodes. But as of yet, we've never had an entire episode devoted to the deep orbit view of developing the story, the narrative of the campaign itself. We've worked hard to give you all our advice on the ingredients, but what about the recipe? So tonight, we're going to take the lofty view and spend some time with a very special guest to talk all about designing and constructing your campaign. So perk up your ears, Gamer Nation. Pencils at the ready, because we are going to discuss campaign creation tonight on the Order 66 podcast. So, okay, first off, uh, got to say, welcome back to the show, Sam. Um, Thank you. Thank you. And welcome back to having me on the show. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a... Uh, <laughs> Thank you very little. Um, it's <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you got to have me on the show. It's very good. Um, so I wanted to get you on the show, man, because you had tell, told me that you were uh, going to be starting a new campaign, um, and that was kind of the final push for this discussion and really kind of talking to you about it. So tell us about this, man. When is your new campaign starting? Is it going to be local? Is it going to be your old crew and what can you tell us about this game? Well, it's the old crew. Me and my buddies uh, who I grew up with, we always played the Star Wars role-playing game. Like every week we got together and we, uh, and we played, and I was the GM. And it's those same guys that, uh, that I grew up with that we, we still do this, except now that we're scattered across the U.S., we will rent a house in a place like Galena, Illinois, or Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, the birthplace of role-playing games. Um, and we will... Uh, spend about a week or five days just gaming the whole time so we will rack it rack up something like 40 or 45 hours of gaming um in the course of that week and then we'll try to fit in paintballing or whatever else you know whatever physical activities we do to you know make it so we don't feel like we've been sitting around a table the whole time what do you mean physical activities you're lifting the cheetos into your mouth what's more that's right <laughs> yeah <laughs> your work. someone yeah. has to get up for a drink someone that's does right. twist the that's cap right. off the mountain dew god okay so this is interesting now i want to i want to get into actually talking about for all the listeners out there how to from ground zero talk about building a campaign and and structuring it and whenever possible, Sam, I want to bring it back to the work you're doing, and and but at the same time, want to get your advice as a very experienced GM as well. And you know, as as we start this off, I kind of want to get into the idea of, of planning to plan. You know, before before anything else, the most basic questions before you even get started on things like plot construction and narrative. I mean, some basic questions you have to ask to set your stage. And I don't, I don't know about you guys, but one of the first things I tend to think about now when I'm planning a either w whether it be a, a full full campaign or for me now when I write a series of modules that link together as a, as a as an episodic campaign, basically, um, the first thing that comes to my mind is is theme. Um, I tend to focus on particular themes that I want to bring forward. Not every GM does this, but I think it it strengthens the story, at least for me, quite a bit. Um, and what am I, I mean, Phil, do, Phil, do you do this at all? I do it somewhat. I, I'm looking through the list that you've got here, and I can see a couple of them that I've, you could sort of say that I sort of had in mind when I was writing another long shot, the campaign I'm running right now. 
I think um, a lot. I think a lot of GMs gravitate towards these subconsciously without consciously calling out these themes potentially that they really yeah. want to push forward for their players. But um, I mean, what I mean, so it's obviously Star Wars. But I mean, what what are the themes that strike you guys? I mean, really heavy in Star Wars that a GM can can push forward to be an idealized center for his adventure and for the players to confront. Oh, God, there's the big one right off the bat. Epic struggles of light versus dark. Yeah, good versus bad. I mean, obviously, there's an overall, overarching theme of war. Yeah. You know, and uh, but there's also the whole there's also the whole possibility of, of um, you know, if you bring droids into the equation, you've got a whole free will kind of uh, theme you got going on, too, right? Um, clones, too. Yeah, clones exactly. I mean, yeah, so I mean, there's you, know, you, you may you know you may lump that in with uh, you know struggling against the man, so to speak. But you know, yeah, it wouldn't be Star Wars if there wasn't some sort of political machination going on either. This is this is all true, um, and it doesn't have to necessarily be an evil one. It can be just you know the the rebels trying to garner support. That's playing politics. It absolutely That's right. Absolutely. You know, and then there's the whole violation of the Prime Directive thing. Uh, yeah <laughs> it's true and peace with the klingons yes i mean peace in our time i mean sam are there what themes from star wars strike you most as as a a story writer um and, and a star wars fan what do you want your players to really experience from the from the star wars legacy what themes do you like to push forward when you're running or designing your games well if we're you know we're talking about that good and evil thing i mean what goes hand in hand with that is the uh the underdog thing that star wars plays yeah. out the uh the struggle of the powerless um against those who rule them or those who have the power um mm. the, the struggle against authority or corrupt authority that that type of thing um especially if you're going with the rebellion campaign but but it really works in any star wars era that that is always on some level present um that the bad guys are really set up <laughs> generally um they're in good shape, and uh, the good guys aren't necessarily always. Right. Uh, technology versus a primitive lifestyle um, yep. is one of the big themes that's constantly present. Um, I find most of my PCs tend to not care about that theme. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yeah, when was the last time you ran a, a campaign in Kashyyyk? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the thing, but I think I think the whole thing about technology versus a primitive lifestyle is what it is, is it's, it, you have to go deeper than that. What it's about is it's about the current way of doing things versus the dying traditions of an older way of life. And that's something my players in my past have, have resonated with a lot more deeply. And w- whether it's, you know, uh, a young Jedi struggling to retain the order and, and, and keep the order strong and listen and dogs bark. Yeah. yeah. Um, He's speaking in Wookiee right now. <laughs> he is. I understood it. Um, obviously, he agrees with me. Uh, but whether whether it's you know, uh, you know, young Jedi trying to keep the order alive after Order sixty six and stuff like that, or um, re- even even rebel. Like, I mean, for, in a sense, the rebellion itself is you know trying to keep alive the dream of the old Republic, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but the uh, like, I I think. One of the things I recommend for any GM is to, before you ever put pen to paper, think about what, you know, what two or three themes you really want to push forward because it's, it, it will inform everything. It'll inform your era, which I know we'll, we'll talk about in a bit. 
It'll inform your your choices in terms of plot construction and who your your evil opposition is going to be, um, as well as who your PCs are in terms of what organization do they work for and what GM constructed goals are you going to give them? Okay, whether you know it's saying okay, you guys are a part of the rebellion or you're mercenaries or you're uh, a crew of a tramp freighter on the outer rim just trying to make money and avoid getting pinched by imps or the CSA. Um, I mean, it, it's See, going you know, what? I'm going to disagree with you for a second, please. I'm all about the era. I choose. I you know now that I've written a couple of modules. I've I've chosen the era first, and that informed the my decision as to theme. And I, I think there's no right or wrong way to do it. No, no, I, I'm 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 on board with you, bro. That's I, I think that's totally valid because I think certain eras highlight certain themes better than others. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're not going to have the same. You know, let let's 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 take let's suspend disbelief for just a second and say you're going to be in an ultra modern Yuzhan Bong thing, right? That's going to be way different than something you'd run in Kotor. Uh, well, hey, after after the old Repu- after the old Republic release, I would say not so much, <laughs> because mm. because you've got these shadow threats we know nothing about coming out of nowhere to completely demolish us, kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. But okay, Vong versus Clone Wars, Vong versus Dark Times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your point's valid. Yes. I'm kind of not Dave that I would too, ever run a campaign I'm... in that, but you know. <laughs> I'm kind of with Dave too. When I I picked the era and then. Because I knew that I was going to run it well after my last campaign, which took place during the Rebellion era, and I'm such a big fan of the leg, uh, the Legacy era that the Dark Horse came up with, that a lot of the themes from this list, especially the unknown ancient mythologies one, that was the one from the list that you that oh, got yeah, mis- skipped over. We didn't talk about that one. We didn't talk about that one, but the story that I came up with for the uh, and my. Hoping I'm not ruining anything for the PCs that I know who are listening. A lot of the themes that are going on in the campaign that are starting to come out have a lot of this unknown ancient mythologies theme about them. Um, and it, it's just, you know, you look at this list and you go, okay, there's definitely war. There's freedom versus control because they're in this outer rim system, way outer rim system that the Sith Empire is just getting to and just starting to lock down. So there's that potential for civil unrest. There's that, that potential for political machinations. Definitely the struggle of light versus dark, um, all with this sort of myth, ancient mythology-inspired main arcing plotline that's mixed in there. And it's all mixed in with the uh, Legacy era. Yeah, and you know, we don't see this whole uh, this whole theme of like ancient mythology or hidden unknowns in the film so much, but it's a huge part of the legends, you know, the artist formerly known as EU, the, the, legend, the, the legend stories. I mean, the Rakata... Um, the cele- the what are they, the celestials the guys who built the 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 forerunners yeah. basically who who uh, yeah. you know built the Corellian system basically um, yeah. uh, and you know center point station all that jazz um, there there's there's a lot of it in there yeah so Sam you obviously have your era picked out already because of the fact that you're you're building this forward from a a prior campaign. Right, and and in that campaign, there was a lot of this uh, the the theme about the ancient uh, technology and the ancient um, uh, the ancient ideals and stuff like that and, um, was very prevalent in the last campaign. So it can't help but come out in this one. Um, but really, it's in terms of going forward with this, there are a lot of things that I haven't really um, um, 
hammered out and it has to do a lot with who are the players what what characters mm. are are they interested in playing mm. and what can i do with that um so it's uh it's it's interesting it's uh you know like i i have some overarching ideas or overarching ideas um and uh and it really is going to be down to what kind of story material these guys bring to me to start uh tying a lot of those things together yeah i i think that really falls into the whole mechanics of what the campaign's going to be right Right. I mean, you know, you can make a decision arbitrarily. You can just say, yeah. ah, I like the classic trilogy. And then you, you put it there. But then at the end of the day, it's, you know, what's, what are you reading in the newspapers or what, what interests you that, you know, that particular week or that particular year that you can bring into a campaign and make into something that's kind of active and fun. Well, and this is, and you, you, Dave, as you, as you allude to, and as Sam's bringing up, the, the, these are the three, that, that is the third question. These are the three things that you have to, the basic questions you have to understand before you ever start anything else. You have to think about theme. Now, whether that's informed by or informs the second question, which is what era, where, am I, where and when am I doing this, okay? And what themes are prevalent there. But the third is in terms of my player and campaign mechanics. It's the third thing you have to know. And it, uh, as Sam just said, and as Dave, you allude to, that can inform the other two things. How many players am I going to have? What roles do I expect them to have? What kind of game do they want to play? What themes are they mm-hmm. going to be interested in based on the character choices they have made? And there's got to be some give and take here, too, because I know it, it's one of those things where, you know, I it, it's one of the things that if my players say they want to, I, I want to build, the, I've had players come to me and say, I want to build this character. A Bradshaw's done that. He says, I want to make this character. I want to do, you know, I, I want to do this. I, I want to make an actual character from the EU, from Legends. I want to make this guy. Okay, well, that informs my era heavily in terms of where and how he wants to play. Um, I've had others that come to me with a build they want to do, and that informs things. And others say, I want to have a character like Brev. Brev came to me uh, before our last ca- before our, our, our last campaign started this past summer, and he, he said, um, I want to play a character who's an ex-soldier, and he's grizzled, and his, he's searching for his lost son. And that's all he came to me with. You know what I mean? Um, but all those things are going to in you know work together and they're these fluid questions you don't need to ask yourself these things in order because they can inform one of the other um so it's extremely important i mean so in terms of the the mechanics i mean obviously what your players are playing what they're interested in that informs your themes or era or you know as, as they play off each other what other what other preliminary questions do you do we as GMs need to think about before we start the campaign? Uh, before we start even thinking about the story? Do you mean from a mechanical standpoint, or in the, are we still in the crafting stage? Oh no, I would say I would say before we start crafting in that mechanical standpoint, when I'm thinking about themes and everything else, before I can before I can start planning out the the story itself, is there anything else I need to know or need to consider? Hmm. Hmm. Before you start planning out the story, we've we've gone over the themes, we've gone over the uh, the different eras and how they uh, how they. I think the to themes. some degree, to some degree, it's not only how many players; it's who your players are, because there are some players that I know that have less of an appetite for what would you call it more high 
action, tension, possibility to die type campaigns, and they are more in line to play um, games in which, I mean, basically they get pissed off and pout if they die. Some are just flat out incompatible with other people that are also potentially in your group. So, you know, little personality nuances outside the game. Well, also how how people like to play. And what I mean by yeah. that, what I mean by that is like, okay, my current home table group, you guys are awesome because you're cool with everything. The the OG group that I gamed with before moving away from that town, like I've got a book in, next to me right now um called uh which which just came out and and it's the uh the diplomat source book for Age of Rebellion, okay? Um, uh, well, it's not right next to me. It's downstairs, and it's it's oh god, it's not dangerous covenants. It's a uh, uh, desperate allies. desperate allies. Thank you. There's an entire and and we actually earlier on in, uh, a year or two ago when we had Jay Little Little on, we talked about the idea of social combat. There are rules for social combat in this book. Okay, but right. that group of players would have completely balked, been bored, and uninterested at the idea of having any type of social encounters. They wanted to hack, slash, shoot, and kill things. That's all they were interested in. Yeah. And so thinking about themes like political machinations, <laughs> I mean, I would, have gotten, I would have gotten 10 raised eyebrows, okay, at that. If, if I ever brought that up to that play group, they would have been like, okay. Um, so, so there's that. The other key questions for me is, and Sam, one of the reasons I wanted to ask you about, about how your game session is going to occur is, the length of the campaign matters to me. How long do the do the players expect the campaign to go on? Because that tells me how depth in depth we can get with the plot, right? And yes, the other yes. is is how often will you play and how will you play? Are you gonna do the Whitworth Posse method of eight, five days of solid gaming once a year or twice a year? Are you gonna play once a week for a few hours? Are you gonna play once a month for eight hours? What are you going to do? Because that informs then how you're going to take your plot and divvy it up into bite-sized chunks if you have to. Mm-hmm. Man, that sounds yeah. absolutely awesome to do the Whitwer method, but man, I would go into withdrawal the other 11 months of the year. <laughs> it's just a- the reality of, of life in terms of us having all moved away. I hear you. Unfortunately. I hear you. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, back to the... Um, it's all about It's all about your players. It's all about what it is that that they're going to find interesting or fun. And, um, you know, a lot of, and, and also asking your players, actually just being straight up and being like, Hey, what, what is, what would you guys like to see out of this? Wisdom dropped right there. Yep. The, um, you don't want to be the Tolkien GM where it's, it's your train ride and the players are lucky to be on it. That's the worst attitude to have for a camp, for a campaign. You talk to your players ahead of time and you find out what the hell they want to get out of this and what they're looking for because it's part of that social contract of gaming. You get the buy-in ahead of time and they're going to have a lot more fun out of it. Oh, yeah. Hey, um, Echo Base came up with a good one. Hmm. How canonical are you going to be? See, oh, uh, yes. Yeah, that's a good question, man. And this comes from Dugan, Dugan SF in, uh, in the chat. More, more people are filtering in as time goes by. One of my PCs. One of, oh, oh, there you go. There you go. Um, yeah, it's Brett from one of my guys who came down. Oh, okay. What's Game up? Nation. What's up, Brett? Oh, cool. What's up, Brett? Um, look at the big brain on Brett. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he, uh, 
you know, he says, like, in, in, for Phil, for your alternate timeline, canon was thrown out the window by design. I know we've talked about that before, too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of that comes down to what era you're playing in as well. And I, I do want to say this, you know, before we start talking about story creation and we, we finish up kind of these preliminary question discussions that we're having. When you pick up the FFG system books, it would it would seem to the casual observer that they are saying, look, the dark times slash rebellion era is the era you are playing and you are a playing in the era of the episodes four, five, four through six. That is the era you are playing in because that is the clear point of view that the books are designed in. Okay. Sure. But you, that, that you are, you are not limited to that at this point. I mean, the, the, the beta is already out. It has been out for almost a year for force and destiny. The core book is on the boat, as we just said. Okay. So, you're gonna you're gonna reach a point here when you're starting a campaign now that you can, you have the resources to make any character you want to make in any era you want to make, and you don't need to feel like you are limited. Yep. Obligation always applies. Morality always applies. Duty, if you're making one of those characters, always applies. It's just that maybe it's not to the alliance. You know what I mean? It's a duty to whatever organization, military organization, you've made that military focused character from. At this point, you could make an imperial squad of PCs. Yeah, you absolutely could. It's entirely possible, yes. Right now, you can make a Republic soldier group of PCs. Yeah, you could do a Clone Wars era, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so there, there's no there's no limit there. I, I kind of want to get that out. But once you've got that era decision made, then there's the question, how close to canon are you going to be? Sam... How do you guys? Yeah, that's, this is a really awesome question, for, especially for the classic trilogy. Yeah, what were you to say? Well, no, I was going to ask you, man, because I have I have my own opinions on it, and I know Phil and Dave do. But before we jaw about it, how important is it to you? Okay, I my take on that is that it's um, I, a lot of us who who play in the system started with West End games, and there was a very strong um, feeling in the West End games that Canon was being adhered to and that was their job to obviously put out books that adhered to that uh to that story and one of the side effects i felt was that the uh the players felt like second stringers they felt like uh supporting characters in in a much bigger story and uh and for that reason i'm i'm sort of of the mind that it's fun to throw cannon out the window but also to do it in a dramatic way, right? It's you can you can tell your players you're throwing cannon out the window, or they can find out in really dramatic ways. And I think that's something that that is fun to explore. Have them expect, you know, to have something go one way and it goes completely the other direction. All right, Dave, Phil, how important is cannon? I think it depends on how important you want canon to be. I mean, I hate to be cryptic like that, but let's, for example, the the rest of the story. I keep going back to it because that's now the only campaign or whatever I've ever run, right? It's the one game I've run. Finally, the wait's over, right? I wrote that to be absolutely 100% in line with canon, and that's where it's going to stay. Whereas last year I wrote the ice, you know, ice station Zulu. I didn't care about Canon one single bit. Yeah. So I think you have to make that decision. This is good because this is the mechanics of the campaign. This is how 
much are you going to adhere to canon? Or as the GM, are you going to let the players know this may or may not be canon? So although, although what you're seeing right now is commensurate with what you're expecting out of canon, that doesn't mean that it's not going to take a twist in the future. And I think if you're up front with your players then and you get that buy-in, then you're okay. Right. I, I find that when it comes to... Uh when it comes to the, the, the canon question is affected by a lot of other things. I mean, obviously who your players are, what it is that they expect of things, how, how much they want to take the center stage. Exactly. Um, and, but also, um, how long the, uh, the campaign is expected to last because players, you know, if, if they are at say, for example, like my, my players who really do like to take the center stage and they obviously want to feel like their characters are important they would tolerate canon no problem for a one shot or for, you know, even a year. But I think if it was 12 years, they'd be like, okay, so how much work are we going to put into so that Lando Calrissian can blow up the Death Star? You know, <laughs> and I, I think there's going to, there would be a question there. I was like, okay, how much, you know, how hard do we have to work to set up characters who are played by players that are not showing up at the table? <laughs> you know, that type of thing. Yeah, and I think that, that comfortability uh, comfortability has to do with a lot of um, of how much into canon you, you you run the game. I mean, if you're you get a GM and you've got players who are more than who who want to feel like they're involved with the movies and involved with the events in the movies, they may they might not be willing to go too much against the canon, too much against the flow of the of the story that's established. But if you've got players like you like uh like your crowd, Sam, that and and like my crowd that yeah, want egotistical to feel maniacs. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Absolute narcissists. Yeah. But um no, if you want you've got folks who want to be the big damn heroes, who want to make a difference and feel like they've made a difference. You gotta be if you're a GM who is willing to let Cannon go off the rails and have the big three fade away into into something else, into more minor roles, or even just get killed outright, and have your PC step up and take their place. That's that's something to consider as well. If you're a well, GM who's comfortable enough to do that, go for it. Well, that's the thing. It depends on the scale of the campaign, right? Because if oh, it's yeah, a big, if, it, if the scale is, it's going on for years, and the scale is really big, then Cannon, I personally feel, is like it's like a GM keeping stuff on the rails too much, right? Yeah. Because he already knows the end of the story. The Emperor is going to be thrown on the shaft. Darth Vader is going to be redeemed. Um, you know, I, uh, I think that for, you know, the bigger the player buy-in, the more that they want to see if they can, I don't know, redeem Vader or defeat the Emperor or, you know, take over the new threat that happens when Vader dies or, you know, who knows? Who knows? We had a show about canon a while ago. I can't remember which episode it was, but... I remember that some of the things are like if you really want to shake the tree from the very beginning, you kill Luke, episode, you know, session one. You have Vader's shuttle explode and he dies, session two. Just some jarring left turn, either yeah. on screen or not. Right, right. And then that can, that can put your players in a completely different mindset of, okay, I have no clue what's going to happen now. Right. We are in uncharted territory. And so that can be a lot of fun. Well, the, the thing that I that I know that I saw from the twelve year campaign that I ran is that my players really did enjoy being the the main characters. Like, yeah, and and everything that that took place in that campaign was steered by them, which is ultimately why I had to switch to FFG. I could not 
prep a game properly, um, you know, with under Saga Edition rules at level nine and ten for seven players, when I didn't know what was going to be happening with FFG, I could sort of make stuff up, um, and I needed to because they would. I needed them to make left turns and drive the story in certain directions, and I really, I mean, there were whole villains that I planned to come from the forefront, and they were. Yeah, just captured and executed by the players immediately. And there were all kinds of crazy things that took place. And I needed something where I could just roll with that and, and let the story go where it went. So ultimately, it's, it's, it's why I think you canon for, I think for shorter duration, things are fine. But eventually, yeah. I think the players are going to want to take this, you know, the, the center stage. I mean, unless, unless you're such a skillful GM that like you can really weave an amazing story at a very at a smaller scale than Luke Leia and Han and make that really satisfying which is absolutely possible. It is it can be done. It's a, it's a big galaxy. There are other threats out there that, you know, the 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 Luke Han and Leia can only be in one place at one time. Thousands of habitable worlds across a million systems. It's a big galaxy. That's right. Yeah. Kyle Katarn has to steal the Death Star plans and then John Knoll has to make him not canon and have like a bunch of British actors steal the Death Star plans. <laughs> it's always the Brits. Next, yeah, two years from now. <laughs> so, <laughs> look, the thing for me with canon is it, it comes down to you need to ask your players how comfortable they are with it and how, how much they want to see in it. A lot of players I've run with pride themselves on their knowledge of canon, and so they want that to, as a player, not a character, as a player, they want to be able to call on that in the game. That's one of the points of enjoyment they have. Right. Um. My thing is, like, you know, take it as it comes. It, it's, it's, it's for, for me, I mean, I've, my, my longest campaign to date was an alternate universe campaign, so it was completely different, obviously. But when I'm running in canon, in universe, again, for me, it's a big damn galaxy. And your, your PCs can be the heroes and, and be center stage while running alongside the heroes of the films. Or a, a more interesting but often more challenging way to do it is to, Make your PCs the heroes that allow those people to do the things that they're going to do. Um, in other words, <clears throat> you know, in episode six, when we have the giant briefing um, where, you know, Akbar and Nadine lay out the plan, there's a lot of damn people in that briefing room. Yes, and, there are. And, you know, you can craft a campaign where the PCs are in that briefing room too, and they have their own mission to accomplish to make all this work that you just didn't see on camera, okay? Um, and or or just have a mission where they have they find a bunch of Bothans, they beat them up, take their clothes, and then by the end of the mission, they die. And then you just play that scene from Return of the Jedi. Many Bothans died, and you're like, "Congratulations, guys! That's you. That's you're you. the Bothans. You died <laughs> to bring this information." So I mean, that's 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 kind of my thing um, as far as canon goes. Um, in a in a related. Kind of note, I, I do want to call out an audible in chat. Um, it was GM Hooli, I believe, who said, we're, we made a comment earlier about, you know, there's nothing stopping you from running an Imperial-focused group, you know what I mean, that are, you know, that are bad guys, basically. Yep. Um, and he says, I can't run bad guys. I just want to say as an aside, as someone who's run these campaigns, Hooli, the key to running bad guy campaigns is to make sure that you, it, that, and this has to be, that you have to make this clear with your players to begin with. The, the PCs don't consider themselves bad guys. 
That's the key. They have to consider themselves loyalists or good people that are fighting against terrorists, basically. Now, as the campaign progresses, maybe they discover some shocking truths that rattle who they are to the core and change their ideals and everything else and their focus. But that's just nothing but good role playing right there. Mm-hmm. So that's just, what any good actor does when he plays a villain is he does not consider himself the villain. Do you he's th- the hero. He's the hero. Do you know? Here's my question. Do you think that's true for Palpatine? No. <laughs> no. There's always uh, an exception. Because I agree with you. He's one of my favorite villains because he's the only villain I can think of who truly doesn't think he's the hero of his own story. I think he truly revels in the fact that I'm an evil freaking Sith Lord. <laughs> yeah, he's okay with it. He's, he's self-actualized in a very interesting way. Um, doesn't have to, he's, you know, he doesn't lie to himself. That's the, the refreshing thing about that character. And uh, yeah, he's probably that's probably why he's my favorite villain as well, is that it's just like he he defies the good actor rules for playing villains and somehow pulls it off. I don't know how the hell he does that. (laughs) Okay, so we've talked about the planning to plan, understanding your player expectations, what your campaign expectations are going to be in terms of length of time, what your characters want out of it deciding on a theme, deciding on an era, letting all that inform itself. At this point, I think most GMs are ready to start wading into the water, if they haven't already started thinking about it already, of the actual story of the campaign. And I'd like to move into that right now. So now that we have a handle on all this, um, we get to come to the fun part, boys. (laughs) Uh, Building the bones of your story. I mean, I want to get I want to get y'all's takes on how you do this. I've got rather lengthy notes here that I'm not going to go into full detail of remotely, but uh, <laughs> help me kind of clarify how I do it when I start to really sit down and think about how I do it. I always start with an overarching plot, um, because I mean it's like when you and what 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 I mean by that is well duh, but I mean what what I mean is like when I think about what differentiates for me a real story-driven campaign from just a series of sessions, okay? Um, which could be an episodic campaign, which uh, we actually dug deep into back in episode 21. Yep. Um, I, there, there's, you know, th- you have these sessions, but, and they can have their own adventures and resolutions and sort of mini arcs, but there is an overarching or arching plot, okay? And the to, to use a television analogy, going for the letter hyphen word shows, think the A-team versus the X-Files. That's probably the best way I can think about it. Like, a, a campaign isn't a movie, like, to me either. I mean, so we're not even talking about that. But like, no, a movie's a one shot, or, or or like maybe maybe yes, or or one to three sessions maybe. Okay, um, like a campaign to me is like a full trilogy of films, five seasons of a show. And when I think about it, like the episodic shows that we grew up on in the 80s, things like the A, the a team, right? Where okay, you had a setup and a pitch, but there was no overarching plot. Every episode was the self-contained episodic. You didn't have to watch one to understand what was going on in the next. But right. we as an industry in at least entertainment-wise have seemed to really gravitate away from that and gone towards okay, we're going to have this overarching meta plot that goes through all of it and and X-Files being one of the shows to really drive that home for a lot of us pop culturally when we grew up. Um at least, at least for me, where it's, you know, you had these sort of standalone episodes, but at the same time, there was this overarching, okay, what's really going on that you got to after many, many, many seasons? And for all our girl gamers out there, 
I point you to Grey's Anatomy. Well, why does that have to be a girl gamer? Sexist? Yeah, Maybe. what the hell's wrong with you? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying my wife gets Damn a whole it, lot Dave. my my wife would get a whole lot more out of that explanation if you said Grey's Anatomy instead of X Files. You know, I know a lot of chicks who are really in X Files, Dave. Yeah, me too. And I don't think they're I don't think they're wrong for doing it. And I also think they're not wrong for marrying women if they want to. And it's legal now. So it I don't is know legal. Hallelujah. Is. Absolutely. And that wasn't even That's where right. I was going. <laughs> Screw all of you. I'm not gonna be the first one to cuss on this show. Yeah, that's right. Let's let's open this up, guys. God damn it. Let's God, let's God really it's time. Damn it. Let's open this up. But yeah. but I mean, I mean, but do you guys understand what I'm saying? Like when I when I say an overarching plot, I mean, that's 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 what it is. But here here's the question I have to ask you. I have both run and run in campaigns where the overarching plot hits you over the head from 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 session one to session end. We are advancing the plot concretely every single step of the way, getting to this ultimate goal. I have also run campaigns and run in campaigns where we have these little mini arcs. Like we have a session or two devoted to accomplishing this one goal. And then after that, we have another session or two devoted to accomplishing this one goal. And then three sessions devoted to accomplishing this goal. But all of it pushes forward the overarching plot. Okay. What is better for a role-playing game? Because I don't, I don't know if one is better than the other. I know See, what I like. it's funny you say that, right? So if, if, for those of you who have played Imperial Assault, you've got an overarching campaign in that book, but you can take time out to run a mission that is more toward one player or another mission that is more geared toward another player to help them fulfill or get gear that's important to them, right? That's what you're talking about. That's one way of doing it, yeah. That's, that's, one, that's one way of doing it. Um. I don't think there is a better way. I don't think there's a, a one way is better over the other. I think how you run it is, is like many things in that we're talking about today, has entirely to do with your PCs and what kind of players you've got at the table. I mean, you might have some folks who are very interested in advancing the story, and every session is all about advancing the story, and every session is is, is one great big buildup of like you know like a TV series, twelve twelve to twenty episodes of just building forth the plot, where other folks might just want to break. You know, one session you've got the 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 side the side subplot that helps advance the story, but really it's mostly just focusing on this one small area that's kind of ancillary to the main plot line. So look at the Song of Ice and Fire. He knows how it's going to end, but we're taking the nice scenic route on how we're going to get there. I think you, uh, it's, <clears throat> if it's always advancing the plot, it might be a little bit intense. Sometimes you need to, to take some fun detours. That's um, what I we feel, certainly yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah, we certainly did. I mean, it's, it really, what that does is it, it basically just takes the pressure off. There's nothing to say that you can't advance the plot, but it's also it forgives you if you don't. I mean, hell, we had we had a whole episode that took place at sort of like the Star Wars equivalent of Disneyland. That was and and believe it or not, it was rather intense and a lot of fun. But uh, did it advance the plot hugely? No. Was it very memorable? And hold on for a second. Leonard, come here. Uh, what the hell were we talking about? We were talking about we were ta- yes, we were talking about um, how you 
uh, structure the campaign. Well, yeah, but but, but for, for for your for your overarching plot, uh, whether you whether you basically hit him over the head with it or whether you 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 take bites out of it sequentially. You, and yeah, take take your yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like take your time, but don't take too much time because ultimately they're going to want to feel like progress is being made, and there's going to be bigger questions they're going to want to have answered. But if every moment, and this is something I've learned, if every moment is this huge life and death dramatic thing, I mean, you have to pay attention to tone in the same way that you would for a piece of music or, or not, not a piece of music, but like, like an album if you were writing an album or a movie if you were writing a movie or any of these things. Um, it's the difference. Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> you guys have seen... Here, this is a, it's funny because I just watched this, uh, watched the original Tron recently. Yes. And, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. and you guys have seen Tron Uprising or, or whatever. Not Tron Le- Uprising. Legacy. Legacy. Tron Legacy. Right. Uprising was the TV series. Yeah. yeah. And everyone uh, said, oh, Daft Punk did an incredible job on the uh, soundtrack. And I agree that the music that they wrote was incredible and really well produced and really well done. And it was really great. But the problem I had with what they did is it was all one note. It was all one tone. So the whole movie, <clears throat> the whole movie was bathed in blue. The grid was always blue with, you know, some of the bad guys being yellow or red. And the music was always very serious and things are very serious. Garrett Headland, spiky hair. And you're like, um, and eventually that wears on you. Right. And sometimes and and so big plot movement, if you're going for those big moments, if every moment is big, then no moments are big. It's why I threw Disneyland in my in my damn campaign. There was, you know, there was one whole group of missions where it was really dramatic. Drama, drama, drama and huge moments and huge uh, plot developments. And uh, hold on for a second. Leonard, Leonard, (laughs) come here. (laughs) Now he's hiding under the table. Come here, you son of a bitch. Get over here, dinosaur face. <laughs> he is here. a son of a bitch. That's what's hilarious. Yeah, um, he is. It's not, it's not an insult. Um, but, it's a but fact. It's, but it's, uh, if you don't lighten it up, if you don't find moments of humor or even whole missions that uh, that lighten up the mood, um, your players get bogged down. Um, you know, we did – it was one of the things where I knew that we had to switch away from Saga Edition, but we, we did this group of missions that took place in this underwater fortress. And so I made sure that all the sound effects that I was playing were very murky, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea type stuff. And the music uh, was very underwater dark. And, and I had all this art from my Lucasfilm artists that created this great underwater environment. It was a great group of episodes that took place down there but the, sh- the the game was so slowed down by the rules you know with them now reaching like level 10 11 12 that that i mean we spent the entire vacation in that underwater environment basically by the time we got out at the end of it it was like a breath of fresh air i mean literally a breath of fresh air we were just like oh my god it's there's another there's a whole world out there and there's a whole galaxy of things to choose from and things to do and it isn't so dramatic and dark and murky and, and you know, you, you live there even in your imagination for too long and eventually you get worn down, you get fatigued. So uh, I, I'm all for taking the distracting detour, uh, especially if it's fun and, and strange and weird. Um, don't make things too dramatic. I mean, the, the mistake that everyone makes when it comes to any kind of storytelling, including role-playing games, is that 
you think about these big moments and, and they're the dramatic moments that stick with you, but you forget about all of the little detours that made that moment dramatic. All the little things that contrasted the dramatic moment, all the things that built it up with character. I mean, it's like, take another Star Wars example, the fact that Rebels started so lighthearted. Um, it wouldn't mean as much when they meet Darth Vader in the Siege of Lothal if it had started all dark and dramatic. You'd be ready for Darth Vader. You'd be like, yeah, of course Darth Vader shows up, and I'm sure bad things happen. But no, it's it, I mean, Rebels started very funny, and these... The this crew, the crew of the ghost was whipping the Empire's butt every, you know, and and doing all these things and and doing it with a wink to the camera and laughing as they went. And then when Vader shows up, uh Yikes. they all almost die. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They all yeah. get very afraid and they almost die. And that is it. That that contrast creates the dramatic moment. Vader showing up by himself doesn't mean anything. Vader showing up when they're not ready for it and Ahsoka Tano's present. And no one knows, no one is equipped to, to deal with this guy and no one, is, no one has dealt with anything nearly as severe as this guy. That creates the dramatic context to, to make Vader into the villain that he needs to be made into. So that's, that's my word on detours. Take those detours. Like have, d- devise whole adventures that have a really wacky um, uh, component or a character that's a little bit off kilter or something that's just ridiculous. Um, so, you know, it's... And hell, Star Wars is the same way. Star Wars, in terms of tonally, Darth Vader exists in the same universe as Jar Jar Banks, who exists in the same universe as Darth Maul, the Emperor, uh, C-3PO, all of these things. Ewoks, they're all in the same story. So, 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 you, so here's something else I wanted to talk about with uh, campaigns. It's fun to start small. Always start small. Um, yeah. One of the things that that I did almost by accident because I didn't have all my players in one place at at, at first was I uh, I paired them up and I had an opportunity to run a little slice of what their life was like before all the shit hit the fan and uh, and so there was a, an opportunity to create context to create the farm that Luke lived on to do that for a second. And uh, so when you start small, you know, roll up your fear check for the first firefight they get into or yeah. for the first time they see stormtroopers. Yeah. That's fun. You know, that they've never, they're like, oh my God, these are the shock troops of the empire, you know, wearing this fascist white armor and, and oh my God, I just shot one, but the other one just like nothing happened, stepped over his body and keeps shooting at me. I mean, it's, that's terrifying if you're, um, you know, a high school kid you know, who just likes to race swoop bikes, you know, um, which is ultimately something I want to see, you know, I want to explore with my players is like, you know, having some of them start younger, um, than perhaps they're, they're thinking. And, uh, well, yeah, so, you know, anyway. and, and starting small is necessarily, this is great advice and it's not necessarily restricted to, to, to the age as well, but it, I've, you know, and we, I'm, I mean, no, it's not, it, it's one of those things when you're starting, when, when you kick them off for the overarching plot, you don't throw them into the plot right away. This is just classic, classic story writing. They do something menial and simplistic. That's a basic task that any moron should be able to accomplish. And then through happenstance, they get drawn into the larger conflict. They get forcibly pulled in. I mean, and, and they are now, to carry forward our analogy, in the computer. 
and completely in awe and amazed and wondered by it because, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I'm actually here. What is going on? I shouldn't even be here, you know, but I'm forced, I'm forced into the heroic action. But this is, this is a really, really good point. And when you're starting off, that's an excellent way to go about doing it. I I think that's a, that's a marvelous thing. But for me, when I'm thinking about the overarching plot, those are the two, like, like, what is the ultimate goal and problem of the campaign is the other thing, too. So first off, how am I going to draw them into the problem? Okay, how am I going to start them? But the other is, what is what is the problem? Um, I, I start my camp. I start my overarching plot construction by asking myself one question. How will this campaign end? Mm. How will it end? I work backwards. It's like, how, how will mm. it end? Hmm. And 45 minutes later, we're back to the Song of Ice and Fire. Hmm. So that, that's, that's what I ask. I'm like, I'm like, how will this campaign end? What is the final thing that has to happen? What is the heroic moment that has to happen? How will it end? And Absolutely. then who is my villain? What is the ultimate, ultimate MacGuffin, if there is one? And then it all works back from there. And where they start kind of, kind of leads into that. How do I draw them into the larger story? I don't know, Phil? You've been awfully quiet, man. Thoughts on on creating the overarching plot? Yeah. Also, what's up, dude? Why are you so quiet? Because <laughs> I'm trying to argue with you three. <laughs> yeah, we're all wrong. We're, we're all, all wrong. wrong. We're all wrong. First of all, tell us about Daft Punk. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Tell us about Tom Brady. We want to hear about him. <laughs> Ten hours of nothing. That's what that was. Um. No, no. Um, I was just – one of the things – as you were talking, I was bringing up my campaign notes because what I did for, for, the another long, for my Another Long Shot game is I've got a main story arc scripted out in basically just bullet points, one and two sentence bullet points of you know, here's – I've got about ten entries of pre-campaign. Here's what's happened just before, really brief bullet points. Got a, a, a entry number 11 is campaign start. And then after that, I've got, okay, here's event one, here's event two, here's event three, here's event four, blah, 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 blah. And as you did, Chris, you, you, I have written down how it all ends. Now, fully realizing that as the campaign develops, evolves, as the PCs take action and actions that I don't foresee, some of these are going to change. Got it. And already, a couple of my bullet points that happen after campaign start have already changed. Certain things have, have been affected by PC action. So it's you need the you need the you need to know who the antagonists are, what their plan is, and and given their ability to move forward without interference from the PCs, how is this plan going to go forward? Because once you have that sort of baseline down, then you, the GM, become the bad guy, not just as the guy who writes how they are, but you can kind of get into their head and figure out all right, the PCs have screwed up my... They've blocked my advancement this way. How can I get there? Can I still get to where I intended to go at, at this juncture? If not, then I have to change everything. It evolves. It evolves. Uh, can you still get to the end that you wanted? Or have the PCs screwed that up so much that you now have to move towards a different ending? And that's that. That's the game. That's that's the fun. That's half the enjoyment of of being the GM is coming up with a story, interacting with the PCs, and then finding out this has changed. This has evolved. This has grown. 
this is so much better than what I just came up with. How can I run with this? See, that's that's you know like uh, Bill Iblis there in, in the chat. He was like, "What about a sandbox campaign?" And my first thought was, "Okay, how long are your players going to going to tolerate just running a Firefly campaign where you're doing one thing and you're doing another thing and you're doing another thing and they may not interrelate?" Well, your approach, you have a goal, but you may be taken off track and you modify, but you still have a theme in mind. You still have a goal in mind. The one thing I want to bring up is a – it's very similar to a way another friend of mine in college ran a game for White Wolf World of Darkness where she did the same thing. She had this plot line. She had this arc, this plan of attack for the bad guy. But she didn't – she either just dropped the clues to this plot line so vaguely or didn't clue us in that anything was linked together. So – her villains were going ahead with the plot line, and we were ultimately, and ultimately, we were just sandboxing. We were just okay. Let's, I don't know. Let's go downtown and find some trouble. All right. So we all got in our cars and drove, went downtown, and basically, basically got into a brawl fight with a, a, a bar full of vampires or, or whatever the heck it was. Meanwhile, the actual plot line is going on, and we don't even know about it. So if you're going to write this plot line, have this plan, you got a clue in your PCs at least a little bit to that there is a plot line out there, that there's a purpose that they should be trying to get involved in. Uh, okay, okay. All right, all right. I'm going to argue with you. Okay. Yeah, uh, Daft Punk is... What? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going I'm to argue with you on two fronts. Uh, first is, Bellilba says, what about a sandbox campaign? People will disagree with me on this, and that's perfectly acceptable. If you say the word sandbox, to me, that is not a campaign. That is just episodic play. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. But at that point, it's just episodic play. There is no campaign. I mean, that's just a word used to describe, hey, this is all the time we spent playing together. When I say campaign, what I'm talking about is we are telling a, a definitive story that I've laid out with an ending and a start and goals that have to be accomplished. Now, here's what I will argue with you on that, Phil. And here's okay. where I think that GM did it wrong. Okay. If, you're, if, if your players have that feel of sandbox and they go off and do their own thing and they get into a random bar fight, your job as the GM is to be flexible enough to, oh, yeah, you just got into a bar fight with some guys. It turns out they weren't just some guys. Right. Unbeknownst to you, you actually ended up interrupting a drop or a handoff or right. a deal gone bad. Or you've pissed off an Imperial Moth, and now he thinks, because of where you are and the fact that you started a bar fight in the middle of this location, that you're working for the Rebellion when you're really not. I mean, all these things that get that point get the players drawn into, yanking them into the plot. It's, That's it's, what I mean, yeah. It, it's, got, it's, she didn't. Okay, yeah, okay, okay. She yeah. didn't. She just had this thing happen, and it just was completely separate and disjointed from what the actual plot line was. If your PCs go – like you said, if the PCs go off the rails, make those rails connected to the story. Yes. That's, that's you know, easy enough to do, especially if what's, – what's always interesting and useful is listen to what your PCs are saying to each other about what their, what their theories are. There have been times where, you know, a, a player will come up with a theory. I'm like, wow, that's actually a better idea than what I had. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yep. You know, you, you have the uh, ability to – pull the uh you know to pull the strings i'm a big fan of of creating kind of a persistent world so that you the players know that if they do something there's consequences and there's background information and, and it, it creates their suspension of disbelief of there being a, a larger world that they can explore 
But at the same time, my God, if you're not shifting things and changing things based on what the players are doing, then why are you playing? I mean, that's, you know, that's the part of the fun of it is just playing on their expectations and seeing them do stuff and, and, uh, and rolling with it and creating a better story out of that. Okay. So when you have your overarching plot and you figure out how you're going to get there, when you figure out how it's going to start, whether you're going to start small, which is, I, I fully agree. That's an amazing recommendation. And you end big as you need to end big. And you figure out how you're going to step by step, sort of, sort of get them there. What's the, what's the story going to be? What's the goal at that point? You have this feast of a story. I want to talk about breaking it into many different meals. I want to talk about structuring your story because I don't think any good story is told all at once. And maybe you know earlier when I said you know do we do we have every episode devoted to the overarching story or do we have these you know m- m- sort of mini plots therein that all sort of relate back? You, you guys all pretty much said you know no they they need you need to have you need to have your side time basically. I I do agree yeah. with that and um. I want to talk about how to divide that Uber plot into manageable, smaller stories that all connect together and kind of build into each other. Really, you know, we have, at this point, we have the idea of the campaign. Let's start putting the skeleton together. We have the bones. Let's, let's attach them. Um, so I want to talk about, I mean, there's a couple ways to do this. Um, you guys are familiar with, I mean, this is not anything revolutionary here, but the, the, the three act approach, right? To, mm. to to a campaign. I mean, really, uh, it's it's we, hey, but, you know, there are GMs out there that this is this is new ground for them. Okay, in terms of story construction writing, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I do want to I do want to touch on it because I mean, Lucas obviously used it very extensively. William Shakespeare pioneered it, and if the Flannel One and Big Willie Shakes can use it, so can you. It yeah, is, Dave. <laughs> yeah, Dave. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't disregarding the three act approach. I was just saying that it's you know a lot of people, or at least our audience, should know of the three act approach. They they should. They should. It is it is highly ingrained in what we do. Yeah. Okay, so the three act punch, right? The three the three act approach: setup, build up, punchline. All right. What's going on? What's the twist? And then the big damn heroes at the end. Episode one, two, and three. Episodes four, five, six. The the three act approach. Fans, is this a good way to go about doing it? And how, and if not, or if, if so, how do you best implement it into your games? It's a familiar way of doing it. Yeah. It's the standard now. You do, you know, any intellectual property out there, any big blockbuster thing, it's going to be uh, uh, set in three acts. Yeah. Not always. Uh, it. The ones that the ones that take the safe approach, three acts, and I think that's what it is. It's a safe approach. It is. Um, well, then you've got. I mean, uh, but you've got you've got. I don't know. I'm I'm seeing more and more movies that like will tell both sides of the story before it wraps it up, almost like a. I don't know if I want to call it a four act or a five act, but it's it's not just three. Well, okay. Now there there is a four act approach that I've I I enjoy, and you are seeing a lot more of it, in, especially in screenwriting now. But like act act the three act approach is like um uh in in their book um uh how to how to how to write movies uh, for fun and profit um mm-hmm. 
<laughs> uh, Thomas Lennon and Robert Ben Grant describe this three act, three act structure classically, and they say, you know, it's Act One, put your main character up in a tree. Act Two, throw rocks at him, and Act Three, get him down. Okay, and that's kind of how how they describe it. And for implementing that in your campaigns, I mean, you know, you start your heroes small. You you give them exposition. You put them into the framework. Act two, you give them a big twist. You give them some conflict. Oh my god, everything goes wrong. Luke's hand gets cut off. Han Solo is frozen in carbonite and stolen and captured. We don't know where he is. And then you know, Act three, it all wraps up and we save everything and we're all big damn heroes. Is it is this acceptable for GMs to do? It is or is the fact that their players expected at this point a problem? Should we should we rest on it or should we seek something else? Wow, you're 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 challenging. Holy man, I had no idea we were doing this. You're challenging the three act structure. Yep, it's breaking the status quo, man. We, God, like I just wanted to talk about Daft Punk. This is fucked, man. What are we gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I, I'm challenging it. I'm not saying it's wrong. Maybe it's right. But I I mean. Is is if the, th- the th- oh, okay? But if the three structure is wrong, I don't know if I want to be right. Do you know what I'm saying? I hear you. I hear you. It's almost comfy. I mean, it's it's, and I don't mean that as a bad thing. It's if it's necessarily what the PCs expect, it it can also subconsciously work in your favor because the PCs kind of understand the timing. Okay, and I'm getting so damn meta here. But the bottom line is, I mean, we're we're. This is like experienced GMs having meta experienced GM conversations with each other. The fact is, there are GMs. Why else aren't people here then? Well, you know? well okay. But <laughs> the, fact, the fact is, there are GMs out there right now that are not even running a three act structure. It's, sure. all, it's all one act, the whole campaign. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, 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 it's up to 11 all the way. And so I, I want to bring that home. But Dave, you talk about the four act approach. I have it in my notes. And this is something that I'm, I'm, seeing more of in especially some of the screenwriting stuff I'm reading now where it's like it's really a three-act approach when you get down to it but the idea is that you're really breaking up act one into two new acts um, with a particular goal and this is an interesting goal and the goal is to create a false ending so act one being the start the who the what the why the what the hell okay presenting the problem to be overcome getting the group involved and Act Two is the hero's part. In other words, what I call trailer material. This is the train. You know, if, if this were a film, the training and the action. If if this game you're making were a film, this act would be everything the audience came and sat down in the theater to see. What you would cut into a trailer. The the heroes being big damn heroes. The heroes they train, they plan, they train, they plan, they attack their perceived problem, and they're victorious. But it turns out the victory is really hollow. There's this false ending moment. Um, like you can almost be forgiven for expecting the credits to roll, but it turns out the victory wasn't a real victory. And then you start act three, which is the bad guys part. Everything goes to hell. This is basically episode five um, of Star Wars. You know, the victory was short lived. We find out or miss the mark entirely. The villain has been secretly planning a sure victory the whole time. Um, and if this were a film, this would be everything the audience didn't expect to see, but it makes the journey worth it. And then we have Act 4, which is the end, where the heroes win, but not the way they intended. So, like, like, like tons of action. This is Episode 6. After the wool is pulled out from under the heroes, they're forced to react and come at things from a completely unexpected angle to achieve victory. 
Well, the interesting thing about RPGs and and campaigns is that, boy, you can... I can't say that I knew that my campaign, how long it was going to last. And I I didn't even really know the ending, to be honest. Um, You know, I I kind of let it evolve and and I couldn't tell you what act structure I had in mind because I just was... I You know, I had an overall idea, sort of an idea of how to stop the bad guys, but really was just kind of rolling with it. So the thing is, is that if you find things going a little bit too predictably and you can tell by listening to what your player is saying, you slap another act on there or you make something go completely in the, in the wrong direction and have to correct from there because it is an ongoing story. It's kind of like, you know, comic books, right? It's one of the things I find frustrating about certain comic series is that you're like, oh, God, this is, this is just ongoing, isn't it? They just, it's like it's just, it will never stop. And that's, that can be a good thing when it comes to uh, – RPGs. If there's more story that needs to happen or a story needs to get rebooted in some way, it can happen. You're, you're not constrained by any kind of um, traditional story structure. This is true. This is true. Now, I, I think you, I mean, I think you can still have a traditional structure to your overarching plot, but it's one of those things, how they kind of get there is, yes. is, is what's interesting. It's, it's all the little niggly details that change. And I think more so, and I, I, Dave and Phil, I know you both can attest to, this system more than any others allows those things to happen very freely. And mm. not just because the players decided to be weird and go off and do their own thing, but because they were following the rails you set, but thanks to some triumphs or some really creative despairs, everything has changed. That's right. That's right. And and <clears throat> by the way, I should say, by the end of it, mine did follow a, a three-act structure for the most part. It's just a, it's just it, it happened in a kind of organic way. Cool. But anyway, Bay, I... Sorry, go on. Sorry, no, no. What were you going to say? I'm having a bit of a hard time I'm trying to wrap my brain around this four-act thing. I'm trying to f- figure out examples for it. I mean, what makes episodes four, five, six as a three act any different than as a four act so yeah that's that's kind of the thing for for me it's it's the length of time you i'll put it to you this way um your players know when act one's over and it's typically about a third of the way through the campaign Mm. okay or sooner all right where they've achieved where where really it's like okay we're we're in like act one concludes when we're involved okay we're we're involved, all right? Traditional Act 2 structure is, okay, I'm involved, but now everything has gone to hell. Okay, we have the twist, and everything goes bad. And then Act 3 is, let's fix it. The four-act structure is, Act 1 is, we're involved. Act 2 is this sort of faux ending. Oh my god, it's a problem, and we solved it! Hooray! Hooray! But then it turns out, uh, okay, wow, it's really, we really didn't solve it at all, and the problem isn't even what we thought it was. Um, if you were to take episode four and break it into two films, you could create the four act structure. All right. Okay. Yeah, blowing up the Death Star was the end of Act Two. Correct. And then basically, and, and Chewbacca all roars. Of episode five yeah, two, is Act Three. Is Act Three correct? Chewbacca roars. Everyone gets medals, and oh crap, we blew up the Death Star. But oh my god, they're making another one, and they know exactly where we're hiding out, and they're destroying us. Um, I mean, yeah, that, that that's that's kind of it. But I can, I can, I can. When you explain it out, I can certainly see the advantage to doing that. It c- can create for a much more dramatic hit 
for that bad guy's. Point. But yeah, but but it's not it's not. I'm not saying I'm not saying do this instead of three act. It's like no, no, it's no, like, no, no. It's like the four act structure requires a lot of time to accomplish, and furthermore, there's something to be said for the three act structure. I mean, like I said, man, this is if if Lucas and and Willie Shakes can use it. It, it means it, it means there's something there to it. It's what people expect. It's what makes them comfy. It's what makes them happy. And it's it's a key part of good storytelling. Um, you can have some fun with a four act structure, though, if you've run many and many a campaigns in a three act style. You could, and maybe maybe that's why I'm gravitating towards it. I don't know. If if the PCs can, like I said, if the PCs understand your pacing, and they think and they subconsciously are going along with you. This can be a very interesting way of uh, throwing in a left turn and really shaking things up in their heads. Well, and that's that's the key thing is like you have to throw in a left turn for the PCs. Okay, I want to I want to talk about the left turn. Okay, let's let's morph this discussion out of our act discussion and let, let's 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 get into these. I want to get into some real advice and examples from you guys on the major things that happen really in a in a three act structure but but you know or, or the four act structure and and what you're talking about the left turn is what i call the twist okay you know this will be act 2 in a three act structure or act 3 in the four act structure okay and i really or want... act 2 and 4 in a five act structure oh gosh blow me um <laughs> um he'll never let go of that daft punk thing dude I know. Just, no, I won't. I won't it. because I, 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 I will never, ever, ever say that I am constrained by any act structure. And you don't, you don't ever need to be constrained by an act structure. I That's disagree. Not... I think we need to constrain Dave to the three act structure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, this has gone on too far. I just feel like he's not the guy that we let have the latitude of giving an extra act to. We don't do that with him. Do you know what I'm saying? Not Dave. <laughs> Maybe not. not that guy. Yeah. Okay. Just no. But let's. Just no. But in in earnest, let's leave the meta behind and let's talk about actually th- those key things that we have to do to put the campaign on, whether you're in an act structure or not. Okay. And I want to talk about the left turn in a bit, but before that, I, let, let's start where we start. Okay, Sam, you gave this awesome piece of advice earlier about starting small as a way to do this. I want to talk about what Campbell calls the call to action. Okay. What brings the heroes together? What gets them involved in the story? Um, why is the call to action important? And what types of methods can GMs employ in their plots to make the call to action? I love the call to action, by the way. It's because it, it, again, it lets it start small. It gives you the context for who the characters are. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> Dave, you want to you want to answer the man? No, he's still too pissed off. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So, so like, call, okay, no, no, I, I'll tell you. Like, like a common goal, for example, would be a good place to start. To, I, I, and, I'm sorry, I was where, completely distracted by GM Hooley's question in the chat, and so I wasn't really listening to the whole call to action thing. Oh, thanks. Yeah, a, a common goal, um, which is where you know you you really have to work with your players to create characters who maybe the players don't know they're creating characters that are going to have a common goal or that they're going to be completely, uh, or maybe they do, but you, you know, this is where character creation comes in and is key to give characters, uh, something that they can work together on. Um, you know, so that, that happens at character creation that happens with the players talking outside of the game and then you, you launch into it. 
Um, you know what? And the funny thing is, I keep going back to, to your amnesia game, Chris, but that was a call to action just in that we need to figure out who the hell we are. Oh, yeah. And yeah. we were together immediately. Well, okay, and, and you, you come back to the, what, the important point of the call to action. You, you and Sam are both talking about it, right? <clears throat> this common goal or connection, but the key word there is common, all right? Like, what's the point of the call to action? And really the point of the first part of the adventure, or Act 1, if you're going in an act, act structure, the goal is to cement the party relationship, okay? It, it's, it's all well and good to start the game and say, yeah, you guys are part of a rebel resistance cell, and you've been working together forever, and you're really, oh, yeah. You know, you can do that. But in the minds of your players, that first part of your campaign should be them getting to know each other as characters in terms of their capabilities, their proclivities, and getting to trust each other as characters in terms of how they're playing together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. What? Yep. We, mm-hmm. we, uh, we had several of these. Well, not several of these, but we, as we added players to my old campaign, we, we had other things. We, we had some Act 1 elements even in later parts of the, the campaign when new players came in. So what methods are there out there for the call? All right. What, I mean, there's some, there's some, there's, there's a handful, but what is, what are some common things that we can give advice for GMs for ways to, to get the players involved, to get the characters involved in the story? The easy one would be the, the rebel Alliance, considering the fact that there, you know, if you are playing in the classic trilogy, there's an organization already built into the, uh, into the mythos that the players should be, uh, at least familiar with and or working for. That's the super easy one. An organization with a mission. Okay? That's right. All right. And it, it could be anything. Rebel Alliance is the, the, the obvious standout. It's what? half my another long shot campaign. One half the PC party is uh, Rebel Alliance strike, uh, Galactic Alliance strike team sent into this area with very little resources initially to create havoc for the Empire that's trying to set up shop there. Yes. And the other one that I came up with was Common Trouble. Ah. The other PC party are two Jedis and two Imperial Knights captured by a local Sith and their re- and his reluctant Sith apprentice who doesn't want to be a Sith apprentice and instead frees the other four PCs from captivity. Hmm. That's session one. So I, I call uh, to me I call that um, I've used I've used that similarly before I call that mistaken purpose. Like okay. the the idea is the heroes are unintentionally drawn together into the conflict. Gotcha. And you know, earlier example, they get into a bar. What was I saying? They get into a bar fight, but it turns out, <laughs> right? Okay, um, you know, something like that. So, like, make them a part of an organization with a mission. Get them into a bar fight, and they have a mistaken purpose happen, and they just they get drawn into it. That's hands down one of my favorite ways to to do this because it's so cinematic. Um. What about the MacGuffin? The thing. The thing. MacGuffins are, are <laughs> you should have a, a pocket full of MacGuffins at any time to pull out because they are just so damn useful. I mean, what, what, why did Luke get involved? Why did the droids get involved in episode four? It was all because of a MacGuffin. Which was which was funny about episode four is the MacGuffin was a character. It was R2-D2. It was. Well, you could say it was the plans he was carrying, right? Yeah, but they were inside him. They were inside him, yes. It's like calling my kidneys a MacGuffin. (laughs) Um, Which which for, you know, for some uh, 
for some illegal uh, organ donation <laughs> uh, operations. It is. It is. There are people after my kidneys as we speak. I know folks whose liver is a MacGuffin. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's right. Alcoholics. Mm. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Drunks. Alcoholics go to meetings. Drunks go to bars. I see. I see. My, my, mm. my mistake. Um, but yeah, MacGuffins are great. They're all looking for the same thing. Um, um, the PCs end but, up uh, with it and don't know that they have it in some cases. I love that one. That's awesome. That's right. You know, why are people chasing us? I don't know. <laughs> Ask the new droid. He doesn't know either. <laughs> um, so that's, yeah. Go, go ahead. MacGuffins are great. MacGuffins are good. Okay, so we have, you know, getting the heroes in. I, I do want to call this out, and I made a note, actually, for myself, and I labeled it as important because I wanted to call it out because in conversations I've had with GMs. In this system, we have these wonderful mechanics called obligation, duty, and morality. Glorious. Okay. These are not ways to call the players to action. And I have seen GMs make the mistake of doing this. Because it's easy to do it. It's easy to do it, okay? You can draw on a player's morality to bring them into a conflict and bring them into things. You can uh, give a player debt that they have to respond to in terms of their obligation uh, or something they have to achieve in terms of their duty. These are not ways to make the call. These are a means to complicate the narrative and give you hooks for the next thing we're going to talk about. They're, they're things that, that, these are things that should lead you to... The second thing, the left turn, okay, the twist. Um, but it, 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 if you beat your players over the head with their obligation or their duty or their morality as a way to get them involved in the first place, in my experience in running the system, you are going to get less buy-in from the players, nine times out of ten. That's interesting. That's interesting because that seems like a, a really simple mistake that a GM would make. It, 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 that's, that's, why I, that's why I'm bringing it up. It's, I'm telling you, it seems like a really obvious thing to do. It seems like a smart thing to do. In my experience, you will have less buy-in from your players, unless you have a really amazing group. But it's like you will have less buy-in from your players because there's this, I've seen it at the table. There's almost this subconscious thing. Well, I guess my character's going along with this. You know what I mean? Mm. Right. Okay. Where, whereas, again, those those obligation, duty, moralities are very important, but they should be used for the left turn. So, so Sam, you'd started to talk about this and talked about how important it is. Let's talk about the left turn. What sends it all to hell in the story? What dark secret is going to shatter the heroes in the plot? What anticipated action occurs? How do we lead to this? And... How do we make it memorable? How do we make it good? And what are what are ways which we can create a left turn in the plot? Oh boy, that's uh, the left turn. Um, well, you 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 have to know what your players are expecting. That's the key thing to start with. You need to listen to what they're saying outside of the game. You need to see what they're saying inside of the game. You need to know what you're you're setting up, and you need to be directing them toward a certain direction. Um, that will end up being a mislead. That is key. So really pull the wool over their eyes when you get down to it. You got it. You got it. Basically, I, uh, um, here's an example of what I did in that, in that 12 year campaign. Uh, basic, there was, um, there was a long running, uh, relationship between the Jedi and his master and his, uh, 
His master, uh, the, the thing that no one ever picked up on is that his master had a really unorthodox way of, of training uh, the Jedi character, which was to never be around. He was kind of the absentee parent. And I think that the assumption was, oh, you know, but that's just how we're going to play this game because you can't have the master on all the missions. But ultimately what it was was that this guy was had no business uh, being a master and he encouraged the uh, the Jedi uh, sometimes when the Jedi shouldn't have been encouraged because the, the Jedi character was a conflicted Jedi character. So eventually um, what ended up happening is uh, he – this Jedi character – had a confrontation with, uh, with another conflicted young Padawan Jedi character, uh, who was working for the bad guys. And they had, there was, was the first lightsaber duel of the game and they had a big lightsaber duel and the, uh, lead character called upon the dark side and defeated this, this, uh, this, the bad apprentice, right? He, he dipped into the dark side a little bit to defeat this guy. And, um, you know, only a little bit, he, he touched on the dark side which was a little piece of foreshadowing. But uh, he ended up hurling this guy into this, into this underground uh, river, you know, down this pit, and uh, never saw him, and there was a big explosion, and he had to escape, so they never found a body. So later, there was a character in red with a helmet who kept showing up with extreme powers, and they all assumed this was the uh, dark apprentice that had been cast down that they had a lightsaber fight with. And it wasn't the 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 final misdirect was that this was actually the uh, the Jedi character's master, and that he was organizing all this stuff, and he was in charge of what happened to that bad apprentice and all these horrible things um, that earlier were represented in the game by just little you know like yeah go do your thing and and some looseness with the Jedi code that this guy had, and ultimately what it, what it meant was that this guy was doing a lot of bad things that he shouldn't have been doing. And I remember the look on the player's face when they discovered that this was ultimately the guy in the mask wasn't because they were all certain that it was this dark apprentice that got thrown into the pit. And it, you know, because they're, they're Darth Vader expectation that if you defeat a, if you defeat a uh, fallen Jedi and he falls into some sort of pit or something like that, he's going to come back with a mask. And ultimately <laughs> that was, I, I just put someone else in the mask. You thought wrong. I've I've yeah. done I've done similar as well. Um almost almost identically. My my big alt U campaign, um, where Leia Skywalker turned out to be the BBEG. Um, she was the mentor and and master of of uh, the group's on path Jedi Padawan. And it was, you know, for for the one and a half acts or or two acts, it was <laughs> it was, you know, these little things like, you know, you know, communication she would send, all right, I need you to go do this. Um, you know, master, I'm sorry. I, I didn't, I didn't get that wrong. It's okay. We all make mistakes. Don't make any more. You know, and it, <laughs> I mean, little, little things. And, and her, her verbiage and her tone just started getting worse and worse and worse to the point that Kat, who was that, that character's player, like literally, she's like, oh God, I, I'm just slapping my forehead right now. This, is this really where this is going? Is this, and <laughs> I mean, at one point, like after she'd already figured it out and I was just having fun with it, it was like, you know, after her last mission, you know, do this well, your power is increasing. You are going to be truly powerful Jedi. You know, don't fail me again. You know, and that was, <laughs> it's just, okay, we're off the deep end now. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of stuff, but that that brings to one of the one of the the key things, and actually, uh, Atropos in chat also brought it up that the idea of 
betrayal by a trusted source or or a you know whether it's a contact or a friend um that is is not what you thought they were um that's mm-hmm. that's just a phenomenal way to do it um on the flip side talking about the macguffin i love the idea that the macguffin is not the macguffin or is just discovered to be a macguffin they didn't even know they had the macguffin or the real macguffin isn't what they thought the macguffin was you know <laughs> <laughs> um there's we've you know we've talked about this, there's all kinds of fun you can have with this um <clears throat> you know that oh oh my god they want our ship you know our ship's the MacGuffin. oh no, well no it's something hidden on your ship you know or it's uh it's not so much they want the droid they want what's inside the droid or why are they chasing us oh well this is why oh okay um yeah uh, I mean, any other any other advice for for crafting that left turn? Because you really you really need to. I mean, I have I have watch some... the mm-hmm. the advice would be watch the Star Wars movies, see what <laughs> people's inherent expectation is from just watching those movies. That's why my bad guy had a mask, basically. Yeah, and there was a whole in game uh, explanation as to why this character was wearing a mask, and it had nothing to do with health reasons. Um, <laughs> it had to do with him uh, masquerading as something that he wasn't. Um, but, uh, but ultimately, yeah, you know, it, it, you just go through, you figure out what it is that, you know, what would you think if you saw something like that and, you know, and then you just do the opposite. So the other thing watching the films, um, it, it could be something benign, but the plan you've been following is an unknowing, horrible plan. Maybe the organization you're working for was either lying to you or just had some really bad intelligence. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, we're going to, we're going to go destroy the second death star. It's in orbit over the forest moon of Endor and there's a deflector shield. <laughs> and we, we have this, we have this shuttle and these Imperial codes and it's all going to work out great. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just hearing Burke. It was a bad call, Ripley. It was a bad call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and okay. You're th- th- that's awesome. But that's another excellent cinematic example of yes. the, twi- of the twist. Right there, mm-hmm. it's like, oh crap, yeah. <laughs> um, so the other thing too, and I brought this up earlier, and I want to bring it up now because this is where it matters to me. This is where obli- like GMs have a hard time often coming up with the twist. Okay, if you're not an experienced writer and you're not an experienced GM, how do you come up with something uh, that is going to e- be easy and get your players involved in it? And this is where you can beat them over the head with the twist and where this is where you bring obligation in. This is where you bring duty and morality and this is where they come into play. They become carrots that you're going to throw in front of the donkey cart and they're eventually going to take the cart off the rails or jam up the machine to mix metaphors. Um, I, I recommend to any GM that you should figure out ahead of time how to work one or more of the PC's obligations, duties, or moralities into the left turn, into the twist, either being directly responsible for it or more likely allowing the PCs to miss it to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, ob- obligation would seem to be easier than, say, duty, um, you know, because it, yeah. it's more of a tractor beam. It's more of a pull, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, if someone is... Uh, has an you know like an addiction that leads him to a bad decision that you know leads him down a dark path or 
there's a chance to um, recover a lost friend or a family member if that's an obligation. You you can you can really suck the players in that way, and the players will be anxious to do it, presumably because they created these obligations. They were interested in these obligations. Yes. So. Well, you can do it with duty. I mean, if your duty is space superiority, and the left turn that you have planned is is that the enemy ace is actually the uh, your ace pilot's sister, parent, you know, relative, someone that they really truly love and care for. You can steer them towards a conflict and that reveal by saying, hey, look, there's the enemy ace. That's Go true. You're right. Exactly. Your duty is all about space superiority. Here's your chance to serve the alliance. And it turns out that, you know, it's that old Civil War thing. One kid uh, fights, fights for the south. One kid fights for the north. And they have yep. to reconcile that. Yeah. And another, Absolutely. Another, another thing, and I agree, duty is tougher. Another easy way to use duty is to be the literal carrot on the stick. You give the PCs the chance to do something incredibly stupid, but it's going to advance <laughs> their duty. Mm. Right. Um, hey, here's this ridiculously juicy Imperial tar- target, uh, which is going to pump your duty by some insane amount, but in reality, it's likely to end up getting them captured or diverts half the fleet to save them or alerts the Imperials to the team's overall plans and thus creates the twist. Yeah, I tried to do that today, and the guy should have died, but instead he rolled two triumphs. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Bastard. Damn it. <laughs> um, and then morality is about as easy as obligation, really. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. pretty, it's pretty blatant. I mean, you, you got to play on the polarities of one or more of the PC's morality polls, um, usually involving people or NPCs in precarious situations right in the middle of both polls. So my example for this is, like, um, I, I, got, I, I jammed a character recently who had... Uh, uh, in 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 one of my modules, she's a Jedi whose her her morality pull is discipline versus obstinateness. Okay, mm. if you give this PC access to a plan, like it's like a complete map of a high value Imperial target, and give them the time to analyze it and really take their time with it, that individual, if you play on their morality, will determine that th- no, this plan is sound and this target must be taken out and. Uh, you know that obstinate nature comes in no we have to do this okay and stick to the plan stick, stick to the plan stick to the plan stick to the plan even if you start throwing all this stuff in and say oh this might not be the best idea this might not be the best idea stay on target you stay on target you play with the morality and you can totally m- mess them up and i have an example of how to put this into play um to deal with a mixed party and and bring three full pcs into the twist and i want to run this by you guys Okay. So let's say we got a PC who's got a duty of tech procurement, another with an obligation of criminal past, and a third PC with a morality axis of love versus jealousy. Okay? Very Anakin. Um, at the time for the twist, that left turn, the party is informed that Moff Jaron Hagla, technical genius for the ISB, uh, has developed a prototype slicing protocol that uses advanced algorithms to search all network databases for any search criteria in a matter of seconds, okay? He'll be debuting it at an Imperial function in a week. It'll be stupid guarded in the heart of Coruscant. Really, really bad idea to go after it. But (laughs) (laughs) if the PCs were to acquire it, the tech procurement guy's duty would increase by 10 or 15, okay, maybe 20. And, oh yeah, while it's being debuted, hooked live into the Imperial network, an enterprising PC who gains access, maybe with a criminal background as his obligation, might be able to f- 
find every trace of their identity in a couple seconds and their criminal past and erase it all with a single keystroke because they can. Um, maybe reducing by massive or eliminating the criminal's obligation. And oh yeah, Moff Jaron has a highly publicized date for his event. The wealthy and beautiful noble Jorana Tess from Alderaan, <laughs> who happens to be the estranged flame from our morality player. Okay. This is the kind of thing. You you have this, you set up the left turn to get the pieces. Okay, this is a really bad idea, but you can play with little twists. Oh, by the way, if you do this, you're going to increase your duty. If you do this, you have the chance to seriously decrease or remove your obligation. Oh my God, your old flame is going to be there and she's going to be on the arm of this dude. Are you going to let that happen? <laughs> you going to let that, you going to take that dude? You going to take that? Really? You going to take that dude? Are you going to take it? I mean, that's awesome. So the, the the system presents us with these three beautiful mechanics that can be used to inform the twist, to enforce the twist, and to help you see it through to fruition. So I just want to that that's that's my big yep. knowledge drop for the show, guys. There's there there's the one concrete thing it. you can take away from this damn discussion. That's great. That's awesome. So well done. I'm I'm totally impressed. Let's go get some tacos. Let's go get some ta- <laughs> go, go tacos and go serve. But it does it does take a little thought, you know. Like one of the things that GMs have to be completely aware of in the system is if there's a one piece of prep. I mean, it isn't like you need to go over challenge charts and stuff like that, like the old D20 stuff. What you do need to be intimately aware of is obligation, morality, and duty, and what yeah. those things are to the players. You have to be completely aware of those things. And you know, good GMs always kind of were, right? I mean, we were always aware of what the issues were, the backstories of our players and what it is that they were interested in, in figuring out. But the, uh, but the thing is, in this game, there is a mechanical um, incentive and a mechanical challenge um, that you can build into your stuff by, by really observing these things. So, you know, if there's one thing you need to memorize, what is up with your players when it comes to those three mechanics? That's oh yeah, absolutely. and you know what? If you don't, imminent ruage to you when yeah. your PCs take it in your perspective off the rails. But for them, it makes absolute perfect sense. Yeah, total sense. Exactly. You know, they they've given you tools that will keep the player that will keep the players in line. Fear of this morality. Fear of this <laughs> obligation. <laughs> terrible, Moff Tarkin. Terrible. <laughs> Could have done it as the emperor, but you guys aren't paying me enough. Um, <laughs> We're paying you? <laughs> we get paid? No, no, you're that's exactly right. It's free, so why would I give it to you for free? It's, I guess I already have. Fair enough. I've been playing Star Wars way longer than anyone's paid me to play Star Wars. Well, isn't that the, isn't that the funny thing about all this is that, yeah, we all do this for fun. But ultimately, yeah, those those three things, be really clear on them. They're, they're tools that the game has given you and use them for God's sakes. So you got to understand the call to action. You got to understand what your twist or your left turn is going to be and how you're going to get in there. And then at the end, going back to the kind of the first one of the first things we said, how is this campaign going to end? You got to understand how the recovery is going to happen. How how are they going to be able to come back from the twist? You you can't throw them a left turn and then they can never get out of Albuquerque. Okay, they, they <laughs> there has to be a way out. And You've got to have it lined out what that is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. Well, generally. 
Well, no. Okay. What do you mean? Elaborate. I I know that some of the most entertaining sessions I've run, and it isn't necessarily anything that is this giant plot twist, um, but there have been times where I have literally done PCs encounter this problem. They'll figure out how to get out of it. I don't know how they're going to get out of it, but they're PCs. They'll figure it out. And then hilarity ensues. <laughs> now, for the overarching plot line for the entire campaign probably not a good idea. You probably do want to have an idea how to get your P- how your PCs can get out of there. Um, but never underestimate the ingenuity of five crafty individuals who love nothing more than throwing your game into a loop. Yeah, my players are geniuses. <laughs> they, <laughs> they come up with, with crazy stuff. But, but if you're going to do that, you have to have some experience under your belt as a GM. Like... Yeah. You know, I I could see a young GM wiping out his party by putting them in a no-win situation, and and you know it's you got to you got to have some some foreknowledge of the fact that these guys will be able to roll with it, and then you as a GM will be able to roll with their suggestions. That's the key thing. Is like, yeah. you know, whenever players come up with creative things, I think as it, it they've become smarter because I've become smarter in reacting to those things. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I, I think earlier on in my GM career, they'd come up with just as brilliant stuff, but I'd be like, well, you no, know, because I'm not ready for that. <laughs> I haven't really thought of that. So I'm not going to, you know, you have to uh, recognize good ideas when they come by and, and understand the system is truly about yes and that if someone comes up with something, figure out a way to make at least part of that plan work. I, I, I don't like ever saying no entirely to players. It's always like, well, can I do this? Be like, okay, you can't do that. But this aspect of your plan, you can do that, you know? Right. Um, at the very least, give them something for their troubles. Yeah, see, Fry Guys in chat, he says, my players are still stuck in Pathfinder and get them, Ray, mentalities, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Leroy! Leroy Jenkins! Hey, it's one of the things about this system that, that make teamwork works so well is the just the initiative system oh god yeah. uh, the the yes. fact that people can act when they're ready to act and that they don't have to go on an, on a defined order and they can go when they have an idea um and that makes things run so much smoother i'm just surprised that all systems haven't you know haven't adapted that idea because uh, you know you know what i'm surprised about how somebody can take a blatant ghostbusters reference and go to world of warcraft Yeah, that's a very good question. Why did you do that? What what happened there? It's the whole get-em mentality. The get-em Ray? Okay. Yeah, go get-em Ray. Get-em Ray Ray was Ghostbusters. Leroy Jenkins. (laughs) It's World of Warcraft. Phil, Phil, I understood completely and thought you made a fine analogy. I I, I see what he's saying. He's basically saying that if if Leroy Jenkins were in that library, they would have done exactly the same as Ray. Damn right. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> and Christ, man, you, you get PC parties who one minute are quoting Monty Python, the next minute they're quoting Star Wars. Man, do they? Okay, I all right. Talk about folks I, I tangent, uh, jump I, rails. I will relent <laughs> on this point. I shall concede. I finally won one. All right, you finally won. Okay, so I want to wrap this conversation up mm-hmm. by talking about. Okay, so what we've discussed so far is is 
how to develop your plot, the questions you need to ask, how you need to structure it, the key things you need to figure out at least somewhat ahead of time in terms of of how you get the call, how what what kind of what kind of twists and turns and left turns you're going to have, and then how you ultimately resolve. When you've got all this and how they're going to fit into your act structure if you're building that or, you know, of whatever type it is, then you can really start breaking it down into sessions. But I do think there's some common problems here. And as we've alluded to earlier, things are very different in the FFG system. Now, I want to talk about what your average group is going to do. <laughs> and then, Sam, you are in a completely different boat. And I, I think we have we, – but, but there are some suggestions for that, okay? Mm-hmm. Phil, buddy, how – I mean, talk to me about detailing out your plan for sessions. How How far do you go? What do you for, for your average group is playing once a week, once every two weeks, once a month? I mean, what what's what's the process here? Okay, so you've got your campaign broken down into abstention, uh, you know, uh, effectively three acts, maybe four, whatnot. You've got it in bite sized chunks. Now you take those chunks and you bite you you divide them up even farther, get them into smaller pieces. Get yourself an out, outline for your act one. Try to figure out how many sessions it's going to take. And you, as a GM, and you know your party, you know how long your sessions are. Whether your sessions are two to three hours every week or every other week, or whether they're six to eight hours every six weeks or two months or or even longer. You'll know how many sessions that you think will take to get through Act 1. Figure out what the major set pieces and NPCs are that you want to introduce to Act 1, whether they're just Act 1 there and done, or whether or not they have a chance of survival. You know, sometimes the PC's actions will determine that. And most importantly, figure out when Act One is going to stop. What is that break point? At what point does the 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 victory happen? The, the setup happen? The, and everything's finished, and then can prepare to move on to Act Two. Uh, create in full detail Session One, Act One. Write it up. Get your threats. Build them up. Use your dialogue planned, your difficulties managed, get everything all squared away for that first session. And then stop. That's right, stop. (sighs) Don't go any further. When the campaign starts, you should have a fully created session one, fully outlined act one, and an overarching uberplot act to break down. Now, why... This is this is this is great advice for your average game, and I agree with it completely. But hey man, in past systems, bro, I have built out seventeen sessions in advance. Uh-huh. The reason to do this heartbreak will ensue if you do that. <laughs> yes, you said it, Dave. You absolutely said it. You will waste. Uh, odds are, you will waste sixteen sessions worth of write up <laughs> if you do that. Exactly right. Yes. <laughs> You will completely waste it because there are so many ways, both PC action and dice mechanics, that will send your planned sessions right off the rails. Yeah, and that's that's the bottom line. That piece of advice is what makes GMing a campaign and planning a campaign in this system different from any other. I mean, didn't we do an entire show that we called Triumphant Despair about what happens? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we we did, and and that that takeaway applies back here. Now, our poor friend Sam is in a completely different boat. 
Yeah. Because he can't yeah. do this. All right. You, no. you, you've got, but, but there is a solution for you and others like you. Okay. Help me. <clears throat> Help me. I want you to take a page from episode 11, which was the GM Holocron 2.0. That's exactly where I was going to go. I'm <laughs> glad you went there. <laughs> well, lay, 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 well, Dave, okay, you know where I'm going with this. What do you think I'm going to say? Yeah. You're, in, in other words, you're going to build your campaign module in a modular fashion. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what, where, the pe- where the puzzle pieces go. You just know that this puzzle piece connects to this puzzle piece. And if they go left, well, that's a different piece. If they go right, that's a different piece. And eventually you're going to bring them back. That's, that's, that's what I learned to do, exactly. And, and also, just with this system, it's, it, it, you're, you're thinking more in components rather than super specifics, right? Yes, yes. You have some, you have some bad guys in your pocket. You have some maps, you have some uh, situations, some social encounters. You have these things that you can just pull out when, when it becomes appropriate. You're, you're basically ro- walking around with a toolkit rather than plotting out um, piece by piece what happens in, in a linear module style. And that's so hilarious because we did that, right? We did that uh, episode 11 and then, what was it, four or five months later, uh, didn't... Um wasn't it like wasn't it fish that that came on the show and said by the way they made us read your gm holocron at ffg <laughs> huh interesting interesting because they started rele- releasing basically set piece creation books and uh, pieces and all of their in in their uh setting books it's kind of interesting and i'm not saying they got the idea from us but hey because no <laughs> fish didn't say that dave said that and fish is like i'm not saying we did that <laughs> no he he said Jeez. it was required reading he quoted that go back and listen ah. he said it was required reading i'll take your word for it i'll take your word for it but the advice yeah. the advice is completely sound and and you know you mm-hmm. all they're all spot on in in and and honestly you can do this even if you're running a a more traditional campaign. It will it will save you. You know, you're not using the the Whitware campaign. Uh, uh, you know, free for all. Uh, you know, massive Thunderdome style effort. The Whitware Chronicles. But that's what you do, Sam. You 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 understand how to do it. You you understand the the best way to do it. And th- this is advice that every GM can use. You build set pieces, locales, threats that are in them, and you just keep them modular. And if the PCs go off the rails or they end up somewhere else. Well, it's the same encounter. It's just scanned a little differently. You know what I mean? All your work is done. You're ready to roll. Yeah, and- it's it's something that I, I mean, I took a lot of suggestions from uh, the Order sixty six podcast, but moreover, I just it's the only way I could have done this. Okay. Um, I literally created a a map of the star system that they were in with all these uninhabited worlds and had basically maps and plans. Uh, that were very, you know, sketchy, not, not really fleshed out in terms of what would happen if they went to any one of those places. So it got a little bit sandboxy in a weird way, but, um, but the overarching plan, it's what you guys said before. I knew what the bad guys were doing. So whatever the good guys were doing, I could track what the bad guys were doing and and have them bounce off each other. Yeah. So this is our advice guys. Um, it is it is it is what it is but ultimately i hope we've we've caused you to think about campaign planning and really some of the key questions you have to ask yourself but big takeaways from this are the modularity the appropriate twists and turns but also i, I hope you guys realize how important obligation because i mean as sam said 
the most important things you have to know about your players when you're building a campaign is their obligations, their duties, and their moralities, and how this is going to drive everything else. And that goes back to also what we said at the very beginning. Understanding your players and the characters they're playing and who they are informs everything. I mean, is it does it get deeper than that, guys? Any other final thoughts on this? No, just um, you have to uh, you have to be flexible, but have a strong thematic backbone. I don't know how you do both, but you do it. Mm-hmm. Dave, I agree. Bill? I, I, I am in, <laughs> in agreement. Yes. Um, I don't know how you do it. I mean, I'm still struggling. You know, obviously, if it, if my if my campaign today had or my one shot today had gone off the rails in a weird way i don't know that i would have been really a hundred percent prepared for it but if i took the time to make a campaign i would think that i would be a little bit more prepared from a from a thematic standpoint not necessarily it's all it's like a it's like a tactical view of your campaign as opposed to a strategic view of where you're going that's right that's right it's 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 um Big strokes with big brushes, and then you figure out how to fill in the detail when you see what your players are doing. And don't be afraid. Go for it. Get, make that campaign. Because you're only sure. going to get better with each campaign you do. This is true. And, and the dog, and the dog agrees. You hear that growl? You hear that growl? He agrees. That's right. He does. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> he does. He just got, and he just got mud all over my hand. Excuse me for a second, gentlemen. <laughs> I don't know what this guy's gotten into, but something, something has happened. I'll be right back. All right. But, yeah, you got to go for it. You got you to try. Your, your campaign crafting, your campaign running, your ability to react to your crazy PCs is only going to get better with each and every attempt you make. Word So you got to go for it. You got to go for it. Well, there you go, Gamer Nation. The condensed meat from episode 56. We really hope this special Redux episode um, gives you guys a lot more clarity into that advice. We really want to see you uh, you and all listeners and pretty much everyone else use in their games. So thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in our next episode. This is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. This podcast and related website are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, the Walt Disney Corporation, 20th Century Fox, or Fantasy Flight Games. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names, pictures, or references to any Star Wars vehicles, characters, or other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited, Fantasy Flight Games, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio, visual, or textual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 Podcast and the Gamer Nation LLC. Mm-hmm.